Burlesque Stripped Down, episode number 56. Welcome back, my friends. This is Velvet Eau Claire. As always, I am your guide to all of the secrets, the saucy secrets, sexy secrets, and... (laughs) more often than not, some of the not-so-sexy secrets of us, the ladies, gents, and non-binary folk behind the tassels. Thank you so much for pressing play today. I have a very, very exciting episode. Just to give you a little recap, we are actually finished up with the season O sex. I will be doing, next week we'll be doing a recap episode with some announcements and some of my favorite takeaways from the season O sex here on Burlesque Strip Down. But I wanted to make sure, um, I wanted to get this this particular episode out first, even though it's not technically part of the season O sex, but really, I mean, the whole life, the whole burlesque life is the season of sex, is it not? <laughs> so I wanted to make sure we got this out because I have a very, very exciting and very timely episode for you today. I'll tell you a little bit more about that in just a second. For now, don't forget, if you are loving the show, there's a couple things you can do. First of all, you can share it out there to all of your friends and your buddies and your colleagues and your students and your teachers and everybody. The more ears we get in front of, the more guests I can bring on, the more, you know, the more we can do, the more community we can create here. And I think that, that I mean, that's my end goal. You, uh, those of you who know me, you know that that, that that is my end goal is to create a supportive and loving and honest community to um, to help us with our art and with our passions. So please spread the word, easily done on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, real life, any of those things. Just spread the word about the show. If you'd like to support in a kind of more tangible way, um, I would love to have you on board if you are interested in helping with the show on any um, on any level, even if it's just from doing a little bit more like active sharing or um, to, you know, audio editing or creating, uh, you know, whatever it is that, that kind of floats your boat. I'm, I'm creating a team. We've got a couple people. I'll actually be introducing you to them all next week. Um, And we're creating a little BSD posse. So if you're interested in being a part of that, don't hesitate to reach out. You can email me directly if you like, velvet at burlesquestripdown.com. Or you can go to, um, I have a little like form page set up so I can get to know you a little bit better. And that's at burlesquestripdown.com slash join the posse, P-O-S-S-E. So you can do that and just kind of let me know what you're interested in. It's not a commitment or anything like that, but if you'd like to help out, hey, I'd love to have you. If you'd like to support financially so that we can kind of, you know, continue making improvements on the technology, on the uh, the time that we spend, all of these things, I do have a Patreon page set up, and that is burlesquestripdown.com slash support. That'll take you to our Patreon page where you can donate as little as a dollar or a couple bucks a month, anywhere up to, I mean, if you want to be my best friend and donate $20, $25 a month, I would not turn it down. <laughs> but we've got some perks set up. I would also love to hear what kind of perks that you would like to see on that page as well, because I am more than willing to kind of branch out and do some new things with that. So spreading the word, um, of course, if you use iTunes or another podcast player, subscribing in that will make it easiest for you to receive the um, the new episodes directly onto your device. And it helps us show up higher in the algorithm. So it's kind of a win-win-win for everybody involved. So those are kind of my four big things, right? So share, 
subscribe. Um, oh man, I forgot already. Oh yeah, <laughs> join the team and uh, support on Patreon. Whichever of those you can do, you would like to do, I would be immensely grateful to you, sirs, madams, and non-binary friends of mine. <laughs> All right, so let me tell you a little bit what we got going on today. In case you didn't know, we got, uh, of course, we got burlesque all over the place. And it turns out that over the last eight years, a group of burlesquers and filmmakers over in Portland, Oregon, and I think there's been some others scattered um, in that general area, but they've been working on a film for us. They've been working on this great documentary called Burlesque Heart of the Glitter Tribe. And this documentary, I got to see a screener copy ahead of time, and it really, it struck a chord with me. Um, it really, I thought it was a really nice representation. It doesn't have the chance, I mean, we talk about this in the in the upcoming interview, it doesn't have a chance to go too deeply into a lot of the, the details, but it's a great kind of a primer. Um, a lot of us that do burlesque, we can see ourselves in it, we can see, um, we can relate to it, all of that. And then people who are new to burlesque, I have a good friend that I watched it with recently when I watched the screener. And uh, it was a great kind of introduction for her as far as what, what burlesque really is, even though we can't really define it and we'll keep you questioning, but <laughs> it's a nice little primer that way. So um, this documentary is is fabulous. And I was lucky enough to get a chance to sit down um, over Skype <laughs> with the director and producer, John Manning, as well as one of the featured stars and one of the producers, Zora Von Pavanine. And the three of us got on Skype together and we chatted and it was really fascinating, especially for me from because I am someone who loves I almost went into filmmaking and things like that so from that perspective I thought it was fascinating so we get into a lot of the nitty-gritties I mean everything one of the big things I love one of my favorite topics that we get into is about representation uh, and diversity both on on stage and shows and in this documentary and on the screen and we talk about some of the the dilemmas with that and some of the um, the issues and the the you know the yeah the problems the difficulties surrounding that so that's a great conversation I love what Zora has to say about what burlesque is I think she has one of the most beautiful definitions uh, kind of blew my mind like like even when I was back listening when I was editing it I was like holy shit <laughs> like that is something. So you're definitely going to want to listen in for that. Of course, we're also going to tell you where you can see the film. Um, it, it does have a week-long run that's coming up in two special cities in the United States, and hopefully it will be shown again. It's had a few nights in various cities around the country, but hopefully it will be shown again. And you can also find it online uh, starting on March 7th. So I'm going to let John explain all of that as we get into the interview, but I will be back right after this interview to kind of fill in some of the gaps. But before I launch into the interview, let me give you a little rundown about these two fabulous human beings, okay? So John Manning has been an internationally recognized, award-winning filmmaker for the past 32 years. From national commercials for the world's largest corporations to theatrical documentaries such as Lord Save Us From Your Followers and psychological thrillers such as House of the Last Things, he brings three decades of film experience to the creation of Burlesque Heart of the Glitter Tribe. And then there's Zora. <laughs> you want to know a little bit about Zora? Well, as a published poet, holder of a handful of intellectual property patents and a few degrees in the creative arts. I love how she just says it like, yeah, just a few degrees, eh, NBD, whatever. <laughs> so Zora needles on towards creating smart, impassioned acts wrapped in costumes that speak to her tremendous love of fashion and design, reflective of her hip hop roots and the unmistakable dedication of a distance runner. 
It has been said that her sparkle can be seen from outer space. It has been rumored that one night in Zora's audience will have you discovering confetti in all your places for a month on. <laughs> With pasties so small, even the most veteran of showgoers blush. They come to see the teas and leave with an eye full of feathers. She is the girl with the peacock tattoo. <laughs> These two are a phenomenal duo to get to talk to. I would love to actually chat more with some of the other people that worked on and were featured in the film. And so maybe in the future, we'll get a chance to do that. But for now, listen in. I would love to hear, um, you know, I'll, I'll mention this again at the end, but I'd love to hear some of the feedback because we really kind of dig in to a lot of the details surrounding both filmmaking and burlesque in general. So without further ado, let's go ahead and launch into my interview with two of the key members of the film Burlesque, Heart of the Glitter Tribe. Yes, that's right, my friends. I am so excited to be joined today by two of the main players in an upcoming film. I have John Manning and Zora Von Pavanin here today, and I am so excited to get to talk to you about your lives, the, you know, the depths of your souls, as well as the upcoming movie. So why don't you just say hello? I mean, I read your bios a little bit, but why don't you just say hi to everybody and kind of fill in all the gaps? Zora, would you like to start? Yeah, great. Hi, good morning, and thank you so much for having us here today. It's uh, it's great to be on the line with you. Thanks for having us. Oh, my pleasure. I'm so glad to chat with you. <laughs> yes, Velvet, this is John Manning, and I am ecstatic to be here and curious about Strip Down and, and what we're going to talk about, and uh, let's go for it. Yes, I love it. Absolutely. Well, you know, as, as a lot of the listeners know, if, if you're just joining us, welcome. Um, if, you've, if you're a new listener, um, I so appreciate you pressing, pressing play today. We just like to kind of get to know, I mean, Burlesque Stripped Down is really, I picked the title for a very specific reason, because, you know, burlesque can be very, very beautiful and, and glamorous and all of these lovely glitter and rhinestones and wonderfulness. But I think that there is, it's, it's important to get to know the reality, the real performers, the ladies, gents, and as I, was, as I always say, non-binary folk behind the tassels. So again, we know a little bit about you. First of all, let's get a little intro. Tell me about this newfangled film thing that we have going on. <laughs> well, uh, I'll start. I'm the filmmaker, uh, director, and one of the producers. This project started about seven years ago, and we started uh, sh you know, going to many, many shows on the West Coast. And and the more we saw, the more we liked what we saw in Portland, Oregon. And we continued to go to shows and started to interview people. And Zora was one of the very first uh, rock stars uh, of the stage that jumped out <laughs> at us. And she also became a producer on the show and a, what I would call a, a conduit to um, other people and other ideas and helped us look at and think about burlesque and what was going on in, in kind of an inside way. So we shot, uh, like I said, for several years up until about a year ago. We took a year to edit this film and it came out to the world uh, gently last summer and was picked up for international distribution at that time by Accelerator Media. And as of this week, we have a premiere set in Los Angeles for a week and Portland for a week starting March 3rd and March 4th. And we have opened in 25 cities around the country. So we're very excited. And uh, yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. No, thank you for, for that little intro. So for anybody who um, who is interested, you know, obviously we have a lot of burlesque performers that listen. We also, ha we also have a lot of burlesque enthusiasts and what we like to call burlesque adjacent people. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think that this film is just, I, I got to see it and it's just 
such a great all-around kind of introduction and yet also a deep dive at the same time into the burlesque community. And we'll kind of get into some more of the details on that. So for everybody listening, obviously, in the intro, we talked about it a little bit, but the, the, the title of the film is Burlesque Heart of the Glitter Tribe. And as you mentioned, it's going to be uh, it's going to be released in or have a, have a longer run in L.A. and in Portland. Do you have plans to send it um, elsewhere? Obviously, like you said, it's had like one night releases in other cities around the country. Um, what's kind of the the future plan for it? Well, also it uh, is available on iTunes and Amazon as of March 7th. You know, what happens after that is to be determined. There are many cities that are reaching out uh, that did not uh, or were not on the list of the initial 25. <laughs> so there may be a second wave of a theatrical release. And if that happens, fabulous. Uh, if not, uh, we would hopefully end up on Netflix. So um, yeah, so that's, uh, that's where it is now. Fabulous. Oh, good. Okay. So let's, we're going to get, you're going to get a little bit more into this, but um, I love that you mentioned that it's, you know, it was such a long endeavor. I guess I, I didn't realize that when I was watching. So you did filming over seven years, yes. a crazy amount of time and say in a good way, like that's just a lot. I can only imagine how much there was then to sift through and, and spend that year editing. But Zora, how about you? I mean, when you were first approached by John, what was kind of the, what were the, what was the thought process as far as um, being a part of this film? I think at the onset, it, it was just a really uh, a beautiful concept and a very exciting idea. And there was definitely some foundation work that I know that John had done that he sort of had brewing in the back of his mind that wasn't necessarily um, needing to be made available to, to those of us who are kind of on the peripheral at that point of, of participating. So from my perspective, I would say it was kind of just this sparkle, like, oh yeah, obviously, like, why wouldn't we bring some cameras and film a burlesque <laughs> show? Like, of course, like, let's do mm -hmm. it. Um, but you know, a, a, as we know, um, it, it evolved into something so much grander, um, and something that ha has kind of resulted that it, it's greater than the sum of its parts. And the way that this has knit together over the years with interviews from our sort of soft conceptual ideas about what we wanted the documentary to be about. And then that really graceful moment, um, uh, moments, plural actually, of, of interviewing people and realizing there was something much richer than we had originally imagined and kind of giving the reins over to to the idea itself and then just kind of letting it lead us. So at, at the beginning, I, I would say that nobody really had any idea, um, uh, uh, you know, what it was going to become or where it was going to go and our availability to be open to that and to be vulnerable to that um, unknowing, I think is a really huge strength of the documentary because we really sort of let the people who we brought into the film and, and their experiences lead the content. And because of that, we've sort of arrived with, you know, with, with this, you know, beautiful gem of a documentary and, uh, and sort of in this place where these stories have sort of been rounded out for this particular time stamp. You know, it's a, it's a documentary can be a bit arbitrary in terms of timeline. It's like, it's a snapshot of what was going on right then. So again, it, it's, it's hard to say like at the onslaught, I don't even remember what I thought it was going to be at the beginning. You know, it's like, I have no that idea. It was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. Like let's set up some cameras and some lights. You know, you just think that it might be a little, um, I don't want to say flash in the pan, but you accept that it's something that's happening in that moment 
without really being able to take heed that it's going to have a life longer than that moment. And I right. think for me, that maybe has been the biggest thing at the, at the end of all this is that, wow, this is like, this is going to live on so much longer than just, you know, the, the moments that we were all in front of the camera. John, how did your kind of approach to it? Because I think there was probably some conceptual things in the beginning. And did that change over time? Or how, how did your approach to this film kind of evolve? Well, it changed tremendously over time, like Zora was saying. You know, uh, when, when my wife and I, my wife, Julie Livingston, is one of the producers, and she's also a writer, a filmmaker, and we have uh, uh, been making uh, all kinds of different films for the last 20 years. And she kind of opened up this world to my eyes. She had some friends, uh, including uh, Zora, that were putting on a burlesque show. This was seven or eight years ago. And she invited me to go. And I, you know, I, I was really blown away by um, how much fun everybody was having, the people in the audience being so much a part of it. Uh, you know, uh, a lot of burlesque shows for people that haven't been are very active. <laughs> you know, there, there's, there's a lot of encouragement uh, uh, to have a, a good loop of feedback with the people on the stage. And so just being in that room and then starting to figure out, oh my goodness, there's all of this uh, pop music and beautiful people and different colors of people and different sizes of people and all genders. And you're kind of like, oh wow, this, this is kind of blowing my mind and it just seems so cool. I didn't really know enough to ask any of the right questions early on. You know, I kind of thought, well, the biggest question is, you know, I don't know, how is it not stripping? And you realize once you kind of fall into the subculture, while that's a question that other people have, I guess, to a certain degree, there are many, many other things that are important to these people that are fascinating. Documentaries are a little bit of an unusual animal, especially if you're going to, as the storyteller, go into, in this case, a subculture or an area that you don't know hardly anything about. You can do your research, and, and I you know, did read and watch films about uh, past waves of burlesque all the way back to Victorian times, and it has been very different than the, the wave that is there now, or that we're in now. You know, just to briefly say, from the very beginning, I didn't want to make this about my journey. Many documentaries are about the filmmaker or the journalist's story of discovery, of going to Iraq and learning something, or going and adopting a baby, or going to China, and it's their journey, and through that you see China. Well, I didn't want to do that because I'm just not interested in making it about me, and so you realize once you get deeper and deeper into all of this that if I'm going to let these people tell their stories, I have to help be the audience and get those stories out of them. So I, I still have to be extremely present in making it an active conversation, but I have to make sure that when I put the film together that I don't need any words, any talking of my own to set up questions or, like I said, to make it about me. So this film does not have any voiceover in it from, let's call it, a disembodied voiceover character or from the director, which, you know, nobody really cares about. I wanted people to think about these people the whole time and let them tell their story. And I think that's what we have ended up with. And I think it's better for it. Absolutely. And I think that that was a beautiful choice that, that you made, because I, I definitely noticed that when I was watching as well, about how we 
we do go on a journey of discovery through this film, but it's not like guided. I mean, it is guided. It's not. It's curated. It's curated. I like that word. Very good. Yes, exactly. So, so you do go on that journey through, um, through the film, through the, the camera lens, so to speak. But I like that you make that decision to kind of keep, keep yourself out of it, except for perhaps as, as Zora said, as a curator, that's a, it's, it's, it works out very well. Well, one of the, and John, you kind of touched on this as well, because one of the things I really love about the film is all of the different issues that you're able to touch on in what, what is it, an hour and 15 minutes, hour oh, and 20 minutes, right. something yeah, like that? Yeah, uh, 76 minutes, yeah. Yeah, 76 minutes. I mean, I could not believe, I was writing, I was taking notes furiously because there were just so many things, you know, including, as you mentioned, the difference between stripping and... um and burlesque, which is something that we've talked about many times on this podcast. Um, you've talked about, you know, the evolution of being a performer. You, talk about, you talked about how the, the performers are like a family together backstage and in life. You talked about nudity and sexuality and crafting and first aid. And I mean, all of these different <laughs> things. It was just, it, it was just unbelievable. And, and yet it didn't feel rushed at all. So tell me a little bit, either Zora or, or John, about kind of almost like choosing what to include or, or knowing what to talk about when you were on, on camera, because burlesque is so nuanced and there are so many different elements. How did that kind of come about? I guess I'll kind of answer one part of the question in brevity so that John can chime in too. I think it kind of probably circles back to um, my answer about sort of what we thought at the beginning of this. There are so many nuances. So I, I would say from my perspective, our our job kind of became to attach to the elements that the peoples whose stories we were sharing with our viewing audience came through. The things that were important to them became the things that were important in the film. Without, of course, making any grand sweeping statement of like, we're defining burlesque and we're defining whatever. No, no, no. We're, we're just... Um, a vehicle to highlight the things that are important to this particular group of people. And I think that that, I think that that was a, a smart way to do it because it's impossible. Like you said, I mean, there are as many nuances to burlesque as there are people performing them. I mean, we could spend three days talking about the subtleties of various parts of burlesque. And so focusing on the, the things that people said in their interview that we went there it is, there's something, or things that started to get repeated of like, this is a through thread, this is a connective fiber of this texture of this, of this movie, of this documentary, and that's somewhere that we can really put, um, we can put some more time and effort into exploring that. And so that, that would be the answer that I give from my perspective of, of, how, we, of how we picked. We sort of let our, um, our subjects pick for us. Yeah, I think that's true. Uh, you know, there's a there's a saying in writing, and it's true in filmmaking uh, as well, is that all good writing is really good editing. Um, <laughs> and so to be able to begin to edit your film, you have to have a massive, in a case like this, you have to have a massive amount of interviews and shows and all of these things. And in our case, we had interviews, not one word of which were used in the film. Uh, in some places, and it's not because those were bad interviews. It's just that actually it was early enough in the process that that we didn't know as much, like I was saying earlier, about exactly what it was going to be, that as the film started to become focused, um, some of those interviews kind of didn't apply or they, di they didn't mesh in correctly. And to give you an idea of the quantity, uh, we had over 500 pages 
of just transcripts. You know, so so you, it requires a tremendous amount of reading uh, also. And, you know, when you get to the editing point, there's, in our case, there's an, uh, a director and an editor and a producer. And that's separate from, like, Zora's input and things, which we used very much. But when we're sitting in the, in the editing room and we're looking at various things, you know, we have to kind of duke it out and say, no, this is important. No, that's important. No, this is more important. So that's why it takes so long. That's also why in filmmaking, um, I personally believe, as is part of my philosophy, that uh, I am not interested in being an editor myself of my own material. I'm kind of old school in that I believe that you should bring in an outside editor who that is, first of all, what they do for their life. So every ounce of their being is about editing and how to present a story. And also, they are the first kind of outsider to look at the material. And when the filmmaker says, oh, this is my favorite part, or whatever, they look at it and they go, oh, I, I, I don't like what they just said, or, uh, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't come through to me, or it's not funny, or it's not sexy, or wh whatever it is. So you start to, in a good way, you have to, you start the argument of editing. You know, editing is kind of a clash, kind of, where good things come out of. And so our editor is a woman. Also, I specifically 100% wanted to make sure that this film wasn't somehow in a way that I wasn't even aware of, that it wasn't about the male gaze. I didn't want to mm -hmm. do that. So that's why the other two producers, actually three producers, including Zora, all women, um, they helped me make every decision creatively and from interview questions to everything. And the editor is a woman. Her name is, is Beth Siegel. And she did, a, I think, a fantastic uh, job. And I had to, you know, I, I, I had to stand up for everything and, 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 and win the war of editing with her. And so we kind of, you know, uh, lock our time and our minds uh, uh, together. And, you know, we start kind of what the writers call breaking down the story. So there are many things that, that didn't make it in that we could have talked about. And we could have talked about any of those things longer. In a storytelling way, I kind of think, and my wife is a storyteller and she has this strong belief, that what you're striving for in a story and in a film like this is to say, to say whatever you're trying to say in a succinct way and also show what you're trying to say. You know, show it, don't say it. So many of people have gotten to the end of the film and they, they look at me and they go, I just want more. Now I want to do burlesque, but now I have all these <laughs> questions. That's not a bad critique about the film. That's actually how it should be. You should want more. This film isn't trying to be everything about burlesque. Exactly. You just send them to my podcast then. <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> Fuck yes. Uh, I, 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 I don't want to be verbose, but you know, another thing about this is that I specifically decided early on I didn't, I didn't want to make this film about the history of burlesque. If you're interested in that, there are many, or, or at least a handful, of good films out there about it. You can find out all about it, and they deserve their own film. Had I taken, what, a minute or two or five or ten minutes in the beginning of this story, get you up to speed with what it is? <laughs> uh, that's just not how I wanted to tell the story. I wanted to put you from the first frame, I wanted to put you backstage, and that's where it opens. Uh, and, and, and in a way, you're backstage the whole time and on stage and in the lives of these people. So I think it keeps it very current. It doesn't then wrap up all of this black and white footage and all of these legends, most of whom dance differently and all of these things. It's all 
its own story. I just wanted to tell this story. Yes, absolutely. I think that was a very, again, a very important decision to make because we do have other venues to find out the history, but this is one of the only, especially a well-produced look that I've seen of what modern day burlesque is really like. You know, like that, that, it was a genuine, I mean, granted, everybody does things a little bit differently. And, you know, as Laura mentioned, there's as many different, you know, approaches to burlesque as there are people performing it. But I I identified with the backstage antics that go on and with every, you know, with every little bit, like, I'm like, yes, I've been there, you know, and I I have never seen that before, you know, especially, like I said, not in a well-produced package like this. So, so hats off to you for for something amazing. Um, Kind of going off of something that you said. Now that the production is done, I mean, there were so many different, you know, choices to be made throughout and things to be done. Now that it's all kind of wrapped up and finished, is there anything that you wish that you'd done a little differently? Again, whether whether behind the scenes, John, for you or, you know, Zora, things that you wish, you know, you had said differently or things that you had brought up or anything like that? Yeah, I'm I'm very eager to answer this question because (laughs) my interview was like five lifetimes ago at this point for me. And (laughs) yeah, I didn't realize it was seven years. I mean, or or in in that span. I will say that I'm very grateful for the opportunity to answer this question because I I deeply appreciate the vulnerability that it brings up for me. I mean, I like there's parts of this like, oh, idiot. Like, what were you thinking when you said that? What in the actual fuck was in your brain? And in that moment, you just sort of you accept the grace and the gift that you're being shown a snapshot of yourself. And with that, you get to reflect on how far you've come. There is so much that has changed for me personally, psychologically, um, physically for burlesque with the, the increase of conversation about the importance of burlesque. And again, that's a much larger context and a much larger topic, but social media has really done some beautiful things for burlesque in that we are, we are much closer knit in terms of topics and hotspots and other things that are relevant to people who choose to take their clothes off for entertainment. And so with that, I feel like I'm so much more connected into the fiber of what burlesque is. And a lot of that is because I get to sort of hive mind with other people who are doing the same thing and get my perspective expanded and evolved. So when I look back at the documentary at my first interview, none of that was happening at that time. I mean, there of course were, were people, and I'll speak nationally only, that were having these connective conversations, but it was in no way, shape or form any kind of, um, of conversation that we're having now. Like it just wasn't, we just, the technology wasn't there, frankly. So in looking back on it, I do, I do have those wincing moments because it is such a snapshot. And of course I've, I've grown so much now. I mean, I, I celebrated my 10 year anniversary of burlesque in December. So that's right. So, um, so I think for me, um, that kind of has been, uh, you know, uh, said with so much love, of course, but it's been kind of the bummer part for me. Cause it's like, Oh my God, I'm so much smarter now. I know so much more. I've <laughs> spoken so much more intelligently, but again, as I mentioned earlier, it's like, this is just a snapshot. Like this is an arbitrary dropping of the pin in time about what was going on at that exact moment. And so to have like that grace and patience with myself, because of course I want, I want to do, I want to do my family proud. I want to do my industry proud. And so, um, again, some of the things that I, I said, I'm just like, oh man. But again, you just sort of take that breath and you're like, it's okay. Like, 
when you know better, you do better. And even if I'm having that moment only with myself, I'm still having it. And that feels really good. But I think that's been a big part of my journey with this is you don't really have, like I said, in the very beginning, that, that bigger picture, that sort of long game perspective, there's no way to ever have that until you've walked through the entire journey and can turn and reflect knowing now what I do. And then reflecting back on that, just having that perspective of what we went through of the things we said of where we we were as people during the time that we got interviewed compared to now. Um, that is, I guess, one of the things that is interesting for me, because if you were to look or talk to me today versus the person that you meet in the documentary, there, there are similarities, but not the same at all. And so that has been an interesting part of this whole journey with myself in being on film and kind of watching all of that unfold, I guess, in the way that it mm -hmm. has. I find that fascinating. It is it is uh, frustrating. I'm sure uh, uh, one of the things that uh, practically every person in the that's featured in the documentary, and there are twelve. Practically every one of those people has said, "I'm not even that person anymore." So, so it's it it is true. And the nature of journalistic uh, filmmaking or writing, where you're basically trying to tell someone else's story or some other group's story, you're locked. You know, I mean, unless you're going to also tell the history, but you're locked into the present. You know, so we don't know who we're going to become next year, and we don't know who we're going to become in ten years. So, as the as the person to decide to try and you know write or make a film about something, I still have to dive in you know you still have to say well well there's no time like the present and yeah and we're gonna tr we're yeah, gonna try absolutely. and capture it now even though all of us including the filmmaker will change in those in that time and in those 10 years and i just think that's kind of interesting and it is also frustrating and it is true for the filmmakers as well so but one of the one of the, to answer your questions i i i have no regrets about making the film uh, in any way i don't have a regret about any of the people that we selected i'm in love with every one of these people <laughs> isaiah I, I i wish i could live with isaiah i i just have, I, <laughs> I, I, I i really do i have come to love these people in my own adjacent way i guess maybe i'm part of the glitter tribe in portland so i have no regrets about any of that the most difficult thing about making the film and then see, seeing the film that we have now at the end is the tremendous legal difficulty, the hurdles in uh, getting music rights. Oh, oh girl, only no, you do not even know. I know. So, so, oh, God. so let me just take two minutes to talk about that to anybody. So when you go to any burlesque show, part of what is really cool is that, especially if it's a little bit more n new wave and not as classic, you know, you hear a lot of pop songs and so you hear Jay-Z or you hear Pharrell or you hear Florence and the Machine and Prince and all this different stuff that's part of what makes it super cool because you already know the song you're like oh yeah I love that and so she does or he does something really unusual with it and you remember it also because of the music and to, to quickly interject like sometimes it's really clever like sometimes right. you're doing oh, an act God. where the theme and the content is tied back to the song yes. so you yes. know what right. the song is no question about it's it. everything <laughs> right it's everything Thing. And there's irony to it or whatever else. Or you're making a statement with what they said in the song and what you're doing with your body. So, of course, when we shot everybody, we recorded sound uh, for everybody. So when we edited the whole film, initially, we had all of that sound in. So Michael Jackson and Prince and, like I said, whatever, Jay-Z or whatever. So we have all of these pop song clips and the lawyers over the year of editing uh, would only allow us 17 clips of pop songs. And each of those are, are I believe, less than 20 seconds. 
So 15 or 20 seconds. So is Prince in there? Yes, Prince is in there. But I was surprised by that. It. Yeah, I was, to be honest, when I heard it, because I'm a huge Prince fan. So when I heard that, I was right. like, really? You, you guys right. got the ability to play that? <laughs> there are pop songs in there. Now, I'm not talking about ones that we bought, which I'll talk about that in a second, but just the songs that went with the dancing. Ultimately, though, 17 might sound like a big number. It's not. There are about 200 cuts of music in the whole thing. And all of the rest, so let's call it 180 plus, all had to be replaced with new composed music. Oh, and Velvet, it's such a bunch of bullshit. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so I know. So so part of what that what 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 that does is especially if you were there or if you're the artist, you're kind of like, oh, but she's doing her Michael Jackson routine. Oh. <laughs> or, oh, wait a minute, that was better when it was Florence and the Machine or whatever. So I have to give a shout out to Jim Walker, who was our composer, who honestly did a fantastic job to do what we call sound-alikes for most of the music. So when somebody like Sandria does a bossa nova piece for two minutes, we replace that whole two minutes with... First of all, beats the beats per minute are the same, so the movement of the dancer fits. But then we also replaced it with a custom-composed bossa nova song. So it had the same basic sound, so the feel is there. And if you were there watching, you might have the same basic idea. But if Sandria listens to it, she looks at it and she goes, oh, well, that's not the so-and-so bossa nova song. So it's, it's is it really tricky to replace those but not have it then seem like canned music. So that's been that's been a big frustration. You know, this is a, a learning curve and trying to use uh, material that uh, other artists use on stage. It becomes l very very problematic when you try and turn that into then a product that is not just a, a dance uh, or a performance in the moment at the theater in town. Nobody gets busted for that. But if you make a film and it's in there forever to get a distributor to touch it, they have to have clearance from your attorneys. And these have to be specific attorneys for music, what's called fair use rights. And so these people are extremely tight about allowing you to use any of it because they're the ones that would then go to court for you if Sony decides to sue you. And so since there is so much music, it didn't make sense for us to try and push the legal limits or something. You have to go down the legal road. That's what happened to every piece of music that was associated to uh, performers on stage. Additional to that, there was some music that we bought. And the one big cut that we bought was the Hoosier Take Me to Church uh, track you know, which opened the Grammys two years ago and stuff. I mean, it's obviously a huge, huge hit. And we did pay, let's call it full price, um, for for that. And and I happen to be extremely proud of that because not, not just that as the director, that's what I chose, but Hoosier has since continued to not allow that song on any movie or any TV show. Wow. And to make it more difficult, looking for the rights, we had to get all of the rights from him before we then laid it on them that we wanted to have actually a woman cover the song that we had uh, heard, and we wanted this uh, this specific cover of his song to be the one that we used, because it's not 100%, but it's mostly 
I would say, a female story, the, uh, our, our film, and I wanted a woman singing it. It, it made more sense to me uh, uh, as a woman singing it, and she sings it balls to the wall. Oh, it's beautiful. Her name is Morgan James. Follow her. She is freaking amazing. <laughs> I cannot tell you, if you go to YouTube and you put in Morgan James, take me to church, it will have a YouTube of her singing the song that that the track that we used in the film with a piano and the camera never cuts. Oh. She sang that in one take. I'm telling you this this woman is amazing. She she and she travels all over the world and sings, but she's just an amazing basically cover artist that that can take great music and somehow make it her own and still make you go you are fucking unbelievably talented. So, you know, we just thought, well, you know, for the opening of the movie and then for what becomes the end credit sequence, which also has other scenes and stuff in it, we wanted to pay for a big piece of music. And that's the one we chose anyway. So so that's kind of a music story. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that was, I mean, it, it, it's a it's a very moving piece. And it does, I love that you had it kind of re-recorded or uh, covered rather, um, because it does, it just adds that. I mean, that song already is so haunting and yet sexy and yet, I don't know, it just invokes all these emotions. And then to have it covered by someone with such, you know, a different tone to her voice and just, oh, it, it was very powerful as, as a viewer watching it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. Um, real quickly, I, I'd love to know how kind of, you mentioned that you had done a lot of research and seen a lot of different performers. And as you mentioned, there are 12 performers that are kind of featured in this film. How did you narrow down? I mean, how on earth with all of the hundreds of amazing performers, even like dozens and dozens just in Portland alone, um, how did you kind of narrow down to that to that 12? Well, I... I had to educate myself, so we went to as many shows as possible. And, you know, once you start going to your second and third and fourth show of a troupe, there are certain people that stand out and certain people that don't stand out as much. Nothing wrong with them. Very enjoyable. Great part of a, of a whatever, a, a variety show any Friday night. But there are certain ones that rise above that. Zora is one of them. and mm -hmm. uh, So is Isaiah. These people, you know, when Isaiah comes out, there's not seven Isaiahs uh, uh, there doing a show. He's doing a show with, uh, you know, several other people at any given time. And when Isaiah comes out on the stage, you stop what you're doing and your jaw goes down. I mean, you know, these are the kind of people that when they perform, people stop talking and they notice them. They, you know, so, so you know, I don't know, star quality. I don't know about that word, but they have a quality that they take their art so seriously and they are reflecting back that that beauty and that art into the room. And in that moment that if you're tuned into that at all, you fucking stop what you're doing. Well. After you go to enough, you realize those people and they stand out. So that that became the beginning point of Angelique, we have to interview her, or Zora, we have to interview her. And you know, some people, when you interview them, you know, they're not great. It, they're not great necessarily at an interview. Maybe they can't. They, maybe they're a little fearful, uh, which is certainly natural. Maybe they can't get their ideas out, which is also natural. Uh, maybe they're, you know, whatever. They they just don't want to be on camera more so than they are on stage. And so we pre-interviewed every person that we wanted to interview. But then you just kind of go for it, and you set up an interview, and you hope the best for it. And um, I would like to think that we kind of created a, a safe place for people to, um, to, to, you know, to talk about things that 
that aren't just, you know, why I perform, but things about their lives that make it difficult to perform or um, things that they're overcoming. Well, that's interesting on a human level. Um, so I think that helps give the film a soul. Absolutely. Um, because one of the things I love about that cast, that th those dozen people, is that there's, um, you know, well, first of all, I love that you included some boylesque performers as well as like, yeah. you know, Russell Moore, the MC style and, and, you know, lots of different styles, classic and neo and all of these things. One thing that I felt watching that was um, slightly missing a little bit was uh, maybe a diversity in size. And I just I, mm -hmm. I kind of have a two part for that one. Uh, Zora, I'm curious to know whether that's something as you are a performer and producer, is that something that you kind of incorporate as part of your burlesque uh, mission or anything like that? And then on the flip side, as far as with this film. Was it something that you considered or a conscious decision made uh, as far as what to include, especially on the feminine side, as far as including different sizes, different shapes, things like that? Yeah, absolutely. It's a great question. Um, very, very excited about the opportunity to speak to that. Um, Good. Specifically for the documentary, I think what it uh, uh, primarily had to do with the people who we found interesting that were geographically accessible to us. And that is absolutely not to say um, that there was no body diversity that was interesting, that was geographically accessible. These people that show up in the documentary happen to be the people that made the final cut. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah. they're is unfortunately in Portland, um, we are, are a bit plagued with a lack of diversity. I would say that the Portland burlesque industry is awesomely non-reflective of what actually is a larger snapshot of the city in general. I feel like we have a very diverse community in terms of, um, body difference, um, body size, um, uh, gender identification, race, all of those things. But I think that we have per capita within the burlesque industry, a lot more of that than per capita Portland in general if that makes mm -hmm. sense. So mm -hmm. the, the opportunity there, um, yes, it was absolutely considered. And yes, it was something that we kept in mind. I, I, I will be authentic and say that it, it wasn't necessarily something that we sought out um, to have a plant by any means, because I don't think that that would have been authentic. And I don't think it would have been um, true to the story of the film of like, oh, let's just make sure that we're checking all the diversity boxes. Absolutely. Um, but a lot of it came down to, again, um, and, and said, I, I don't know if there's any d diplomatic way to hand off a grenade, <laughs> but um, <laughs> it was who we found interesting at the time that yeah. we had geographic yeah. access to. Yeah. And that also means it was people that we had access to in these shows. So I want to be very delicate in saying this because I am no way blame shifting, but we only have access to bodies that are being put on stage yep. as producers right. and as people who are going to observe these film or um, these shows to, to find out who we want to put in the film. And so without being able to go to shows that represent um, to, to a good enough degree that you have choice and that you have selection of any category, um, those people already have to be on stage. Those like, and when I say those people, I mean 
I mean any people. I mean anybody of any category has to be creating an act, creating new content, being interesting enough that they're going to get themselves in front of a producer, being all of the things that you need to be in order for a producer to book you. And then also the happenstance of them being at a show that we happen to see and went, oh, aha, there it is. So if that kind of is a, that feels kind of like a good umbrella answer for for, for essentially what we're looking for, because that also, I, I think, again, when we talk about per capita, um, it also can speak to a larger systemic issue, where is there a discrimination against one while there is a preference towards another? And I believe that probably in the last five years, specifically, maybe even kind of like microscopically in the last three years, we have seen a lot of that completely obliterated because there aren't just pretty burlesque shows anymore. And again, I I want everybody to hear that the right way. Like I want to just be able to speak very candidly. A lot of burlesque shows are just pretty burlesque shows. And we now have like political only. We have like race specific. We have gender fluidity specific. We have cause or, or charity specific burlesque, uh, shows now that are happening that are giving so much more, uh, 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 audience traction to marginalized individuals and to marginalized groups. And because of that sort of influx, uh, right, I would say of that conversation happening on a national scale. And then obviously it sort of, it will trickle down into the burlesque community. I also have seen our burlesque industry be awesomely, um, responsible and, um, accountable to showing up for this conversation and creating that diversity internally, and then kind of forcing it outward as well. Again, I I answer this question very sensitively because I know that it will be something that I will reflect back on in 10 months and be like, fuck, why didn't you think of that? Because (laughs) this is sort of the mindset I'm in right now. But um, I I guess I would say that I feel like that sort of briefly touches upon each aspect. And the fact that this film started in 2009, um, when, you know, when they're at least in Portland, Portland specific, there, there wasn't a whole ton. I mean, there were shows happening, but there was not even close to the diversity of show content platform and theme that is happening now that, that gave us access. And, and for myself personally, as a producer, um, you know, I, I, am strictly on talent. If you have the talent, I do not give a shit what is between your legs, what's between your ears, what's, you know, what, what you look like when you walk around every day or how it is that you choose to mobilize yourself. I do not give a fuck. If you show up on stage and you own your shit, you're going to be in my show. And like that for me is, is, is basically how I run my shows. And yes, like I tend to curate my shows very specifically. Like I often will pick people or pick numbers that I know will greet the caliber of, of show that I'm trying to curate with, with my own troupe. And, and that oftentimes is is how things get done, but also, you know, you reach out to people and you book them and they're not available. 
and you reach out to them again and they're not available again. And so these are all things that kind of happen in the mix to, to switch from, you know, what goes into a documentary versus what would go into a show like a monthly show or a quarterly show or an annual show. But, um, you know, these are all some of the challenges that we face, but I am so proud to say that there are, there are increasingly more and more shows that are, are, category specific and category, um, inclusive. And by that, I mean, I love that there are shows that are queer and gender fluid only. And that I, as, um, a a cis female, I'm not allowed to be in that show. And I am so happy that that exists because I already have tons of platform and I'm ready to sit down and make way for other people who, who don't have a platform, who don't have a voice. And so, I guess, I mean, obviously this is a very, it's a very sensitive topic and it's a very hot topic. Uh, you know, I, I don't mean hot as in sexy. I mean, hot as in t- <laughs> temperatures uh-huh. rise, um, you know, yep. and blood boils, but, um, that, that would be how I answer that question. And again, to circle back, a lot of it is what we had access to based on what was being put on stage at the time. And, you know, and the availability of a diversity of people that were exhibiting the specific characteristics that we were looking for, for this film. And a lot of that had, you know, 40% talent and 60% personality, because as you saw, we're having to sit down and engage and interact. And, and that does require, um, that does require the comfort with oneself to sit down and talk in such a way and all these other things. And as John mentioned, there are some really phenomenal performers whose you know, interviews didn't make it in and it wasn't because they said anything wrong or did anything wrong. It just, at the very end, it didn't fit into the fiber of, of where the documentary was going. Well said. Very well said. Let me to put in one, two seconds uh, of my take on it. Mostly, I think that Zora covered everything. But I'll just say from my perspective, you know, right or wrong, the director gets to choose. So the director is going to get the arrows either way. It doesn't make it right, but I did never go out to look for any certain size of a person. Mm-hmm. What I did go look for was this cannot be about 12 white women. <laughs> True. <laughs> clearly, it appears from the outside that there's a whole boy left part of this. And clearly, there are people of color uh, are, are around this. Well, in a world where it is diverse, and I think we should also put our arms around diversity, that's just my personal thing. I felt like, well, the film had to be made up of that soup. And just to interject someone of a larger larger size than any of, uh, of our people didn't seem the right thing. Had anybody that I did see come up to the level of the people that I feel that I, that I did pick and that I, uh, you know, like I said before, did fucking blow me away, um, they would be in the movie. Doesn't mean that they're bad. Doesn't mean that they're not good or anything like that. And some people will like the people I chose. Some people may not and wish that I had chosen other people. Um, So, Well, I mean, it comes back to what we were saying earlier, where this is a snapshot, not only in time, but of, you know, of the industry. And again, very much appreciated that you got, you know, a lot of the diversity in there. As someone who, like for me, like I don't quite identify as plus size, but I'm also not like super skinny. I'm in that weird kind of in between. And so it it was a little, you know, like for me watching, I was like, oh man, I wish there was someone that I could, you know, identify with size wise in it. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, I like what you said, Zora, and this is not, again, it's not blame shifting, but Mm -hmm. we have a responsibility to be the kind of 
you know, to, to get out there and to be putting in new acts and to be out there. Producers right. have a responsibility to book people who are good and putting themselves out there and all that. Directors have a responsibility to, you know, when they see those kind of things to, to do that. And it's, so it's just like there's responsibility all around is what I'm trying yeah. to say, you yeah, know, yeah, to, yeah, yeah, to be yeah. as inclusive as we can in all those different ways. Yeah. A- accountability across the board, I think is yes. important. And again, yes. like I just, I think it's so important to highlight that, you know, again, we started the process in 2009 and yep. this conversation Absolutely. wasn't even happening. And it can be hard to remember that because this conversation has been happening now so actively and so awesomely aggressively for the last, you know, year and a half, two years, three years, that it's hard to remember a time where any of us were that ignorant, but we were, we all were, it, mm-hmm. it takes that moment of being woke Things and change. It, yeah. it really does. And so again, like, you know, and, and also I think that there's been, um, a lot of traction gained. It's kind of a two way street of like, I would never go on stage and take my clothes off because of the way I look. Oh, now, now I'm understanding like, you know, th- there's an audience for that. And guess what? I'm Hell totally yeah. fucking okay with the way that I look and I'm going to get on stage. And if you don't like it, then there's the fucking door. Hell yeah. And so like, I just, I, I think that because of the conversation, it shifts the confidence of everyone involved. Um, and yeah, you know, I, I, I guess we could probably leave it there cause we could spend all day on this one. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah. I, that's a great point though, because like, you know, the times do change. And when I think about myself six, seven, eight years ago, I, w- I mean, I was not performing then because I, there's no way I would have gotten on stage, you know, and done that. So that's a good point as well. Now, um, I am curious because, uh, you know, uh, we meant, we touched on this earlier and there's actually one quote, I believe it was one of the stage your Johnny's who said it in, um, in the movie, uh, in the film about how he's talking about, he was talking about masculinity and he said, it's about exploring masculinity, not defining it. And that really stuck out to me because it's not just about masculinity, you know, and, and to me that can be applicable to femininity, to humanity and to burlesque in general. So I'm curious to know, without def- you know, without needing to define it, when someone asks each of you what burlesque is, whether they're a burly virgin or you know, or it's someone that you know is trying to get into your inner soul, how do you kind of sum up burlesque? <laughs> <laughs> well, Zora, you should you should take the first stab at this. I will tell you, there are people that watch the film and also still go. <laughs> But what is burlesque? <laughs> right, right. You know, exactly. Part of what's interesting is that it can kind of be almost anything. Oh fuck! This is like <laughs> this is like the thing that all of us have been like actively avoiding, like putting our finger down on with the documentary. It's like whack a mole. It's like how many ways can we like undo the definition that we just gave you so that you're still questioning? Um, I would define burlesque for myself as an amplification of joy and personality and total adoration of expression. I got some chills. And with that, 100% control of the energetic field that exists around you physically. When I am performing and when I am on stage, what burlesque gives me that I get to take back to my regular life, which I think is part of what's really important for me, is a really brilliant reminder that I'm in control. I am 100% in control of my body environment. I am 100% in control of the energy that I channel out towards the audience 
and I am 100% in control of the energy that comes back to me. And there are very few pie wedges, so to speak, in people's lives where they get to have that kind of control. And by that, I mean, you know, yes, we quote, choose to get up and go to work every day and spend however long in the car. And, you know, yes, we, um, you know, choose to come home and, uh, you know, make dinner for a family or what have you, but where you choose from, I think is something we don't think about a lot. Are you choosing from obligation? Are you choosing from responsibility? Are you choosing from joy? Are you choosing from a declaration that you've made about how you want to be in this life and how you want to show up? And burlesque is an energetic arena where I get to show up and be 100% of myself, 100% choosing from joy and choosing from conviction and not choosing from anything else. There is no duty. There is no obligation. Um, there is no, um, you know, uh, uh, ch- choosing from a place of, I guess I would say, responsibility there. It, it, is, it is 100% because I want to be there. And with that, everything that I touch and everything that comes out of me is a product of that intention. And it is very challenging because it is cavernous when that self shows up and really asks you to dance. And I don't know that I have the stamina or the mental capacity to practice that 100% of the time. I can tell you right now that I'm actively not practicing that 100% of the time. I'm, I'm practicing it in the arena of burlesque only, but I'm getting better and more diligent at practicing it in a much more um, consistent and sustained way. And to me, that's what burlesque is. It is the beautiful and unapologetic arrival to the self and agreement with the universe to show up and be vulnerable and to be yourself and to be exposed and to have that moment of trust when you step off of your fear ledge (laughs) that you are going to be received. And that is uh, by producers and by audiences, but most importantly, by yourself. You're giving yourself permission. And and again, that would be something else that I will only speak for myself, but would offer that um, I think that very few people in this lifetime give themselves that kind of permission. Um, And so to step up to that and be available to that in your life is how I define burlesque because that is what burlesque does for me and nothing else in this life does that. Nothing else even comes close. Bravo. (laughs) Indeed. I love it. Well, I wouldn't attempt uh, any, (laughs) any definition beyond that. That sounds fantastic. (laughs) Uh, I will say one, one thing that is kind of just adjacent to it because I don't know, I guess my feeling about what burlesque is, is the, is the film is, is, is all of the things in the minestrone soup. It's all those things that I present. But part of what I think is so fascinating about burlesque is that it is all of these different things. And so whether you're a burlesker or you're just someone in the audience and you're interested, you can essentially find a troupe that 
is the kind of burlesque that you like, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 that you know it's classic or it's uh, all this way or it's all political or like you were saying, you know, all all, all maybe about gay men. Um, well, follow that burlesque. If you like that, then find that, and that becomes the burlesque that you really like. Um, so that's that's part of what's interesting. There was a film that came out a couple years ago called Exposed. It's about the uh, the burlesque scene, what I would call the underground uh, in New York City. And it's 100% uh, po- political, which there's nothing wrong with that. If you enjoy that, if you enjoy being part of it, you want to be super political on stage, or you want to go to a show that's very political, totally whatever, that's totally fine. If that's what you want. If not, and you just want pretty ladies that look a certain way, you can probably find that show too. If you're, you just want to see men of a certain color, you can probably find that show. My biggest kind of realization, let me tie this back into something else that, that was a huge surprise to me and, and fascinating, is that um, you know when I first kind of step, stepped into this area, I figured, oh, okay, well, Portland's kind of a unique, uh, you know, area, uh, a city. I, I don't know how much this is going on in the rest of the country. I figured maybe, you know, New Orleans, San Francisco and Chicago and New York or something like that. Well, you guys know, but I'll just to make say it out loud. Actually, there's fucking burlesque everywhere. There's burlesque <laughs> in Cincinnati. There's burlesque in San Antonio. I have been told there's burlesque in every state in America. So since that's true... It is every variation of that. It has become more ubiquitous, I guess, as an expression for all kinds of people. And, and that, that, that's really fascinating because it's not the same. If you go to Cincinnati, you go to Chicago, and you go to Portland, you're going to see different people doing different kinds of things. That's kind of part of, part of what's interesting about it. I agree fully. And, you know, I think it's funny because actually my very first episode, I call it like episode zero of this podcast, um, was was basically, you know, what is burlesque? It was a little primer. And basically the entire episode, I can sum it up for you right now. It was like, well, some people say it's this, but it's not. I don't really have a definition for you, you know? (laughs) Like, you can't, you know, everybody, people who aren't familiar with it, when I tell them what I do that I perform and that I have this podcast, they're like, oh, so what, you know, burlesque is stripping, right? And I'm like, well, sometimes, but honestly, I've seen acts where no clothes even come off. Right. And it's still burlesque. Yeah. So, so yeah, I know that was a loaded question, but I appreciate those were beautiful answers. And I just love them. And I love Zora, you know, I love going, you know, with the feeling of it. And because I, I think that's something, um, to be brief, that's something I wish we did in life more often. Whereas yeah. instead of saying I'm a teacher, you know, talking about the fact of imparting, you know, knowledge onto people or changing people's lives, this or that. When I used to sell sex toys, you know, I would like, I start at first I would be like, yeah, I sell adult toys. Ha, ha, ha. But then I started changing it and being like, no, I, I help enhance relationships because that's really what I was working to I do. I help people reconnect with their sexuality like exactly yeah. yeah exactly beautiful i love it i'm gonna listen to it again i'm probably gonna write it all down as, as like a quote <laughs> so it's Yay, all good. Well, you're awesome thank you <laughs> now i know oh man there is so much more all of my like notes and everything there's so much i wanted to chat with you but obviously we are already over this hour so if it's all right i'm i would like to transition into just my last two sections we can keep these very quick but i do these with every single person that i interview yeah um and this la- this first one is called pick your poison because as always we get very deep in this podcast Podcast, we get into the nitty gritty of everything. And these questions are just a lot more superficial because we also like to know that as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I have 10 different ones. Obviously, we're not going to do all of them. What I'll have each of you do is just pick any number, one through 10, and you'll get a random, you know, very superficial, fun question about yourself. <laughs> so um, Zora, would you like to go first? Pick any number, one through 10. 10. <laughs> number 10. All right. 
What was the last picture you took with your phone? Uh, my phone is right by my side. I'm going to pull it up. Let's see. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. This is a two-part answer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, okay. Obviously the last picture that I took was of my cat, but of course <laughs> the, the picture is awesome because, um, I recently got um, an avocado seed to sprout, and I am so excited. Grow, little avocado, grow as it sits in the window, and it has gotten so tall literally in a week, and it has all these new leaves. And so Lila went and sat next to the avocado plant and uh, sort of put her face in the leaves and was just like gently rubbing her face on them and... Uh, it was a really precious moment. And I was actually taking photos of the avocado while Lila came up. So then it became a photo of both of them. So that is the, <laughs> the last photo that I took. Oh, <laughs> that's nice. adorable. I love it. I love good animals. Animals are just so cute. They're animals just so photogenic. <laughs> yeah. All right, John, how about you? Number one through 10, which one do you like? Number seven. Number seven. Lucky seven. Yeah, it's a good one. If you could spend 48 hours in the body of someone else, who would you choose and what would you do? What? Oh, goodness <laughs> sake. Ah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe I would be Jet the Door uh, on the Dita Von Tees tour. Oh, my How gosh. I just saw them this I just saw them this weekend and Jet was phenomenal. Oh, my gosh. Oh, he was he was everything. I, yes. And, I, you know, he's so talented he and is. he's also, I'm sure, probably going on the ride of his life. Oh, so I bet. It's, it's, uh, it's probably so full of all fun. kinds of adventure. <laughs> That's a good answer. I like it. Thank All right. You. And this very last section is called This or That. This is our quick fire round. Basically, I have a bunch of different things. They are uh, two choices and you just pick whichever one you prefer. All right. Again, okay. real quick fire. What I'll do is I'll say each one and then Zora, if you want to go first and then John second. Okay. Sure. Sounds ready? Good. Go for it. All mm -hmm. right. Let's do it. Yep. Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts? Neither. Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> Starbucks. All right. City or country? Country. Country. Movies or TV shows? Movies. Movies. <laughs> How about Dita Von Tees or Dirty Martini? Dirty Martini. Uh, yeah, I'll go with Dirty Martini. Absolutely. <laughs> what about a Dirty Martini or a pint of beer? Oh, Dirty Martini, extra dirty, extra olives every single fucking time <laughs> with Hendrix Gin. You're welcome. <laughs> yes, I'll take that. <laughs> How about day or night? Night all the way. Night. Harry Potter or Star Wars? Neither. <laughs> oh, come on. That's all I, right. You know what? I, um, I've not seen either of them, and I've not read <gasps> the books, if there are books. Yep. <laughs> if there are books. Yes, there are books. Not, there are indeed, yes. Just uh, not, not my genre whatsoever. Fair enough. Fair enough. John, what about you? Uh, Star Trek. Okay, good. I like Star Trek. That's a good one. How about top or bottom? You can interpret these any way you like, by the way. You know, mm. just saying. <laughs> mm. Mm. We could be talking about bunk beds, you know. Yeah. Oh, top, top all the way. Top bunk top. days. <laughs> Love yep. it. Bottom. All right. How about mountains or ocean? Ocean. Ocean. Classic or neo-burlesque? Neo. <laughs> neo. <laughs> peanut butter or jelly? Oh, peanut butter all the time. Give me a fucking spoon right now. <laughs> Peanut butter and jelly. Ooh, put your hands together. All right. <laughs> Comedy or tragedy? Oh, tragedy. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, tragedy. What about Marvel or DC? <gasps> Ooh. That's a good one. Shit. I know. Fuck. 
Um, the big choices here. Oh, God damn it. Oh, man. I'm going to let somebody down in one of these camps. I know there's no right way to answer this question. That's like so good. It's um, like Sophie's choice, you know? I know. You know, I, I'm, I'm going to say Marvel because that's the kind of mood I'm in today. Yeah. DC. What about heels or bare feet? Could be on yourself. Could be on somebody else. Either way. <laughs> oh, um, you know, bare feet. Heels. And lastly, the ever important sleep or sex. Oh, sleep. <laughs> sleep. Are those your pants by the door? See you later. Sick. Right. I love it. That's so awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Let's 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 close this out with just a little bit of a reminder. The film is Burlesque Heart of the Glitter Tribe. If you're in LA or Portland, we have dates. What are the dates on on those shows there? Uh, opens in Portland for one week starting this Friday, which is March 3rd at the Living Room Theaters, and opens the next day in Los Angeles for a week at the Montalban Theater in Hollywood. And uh, we would love to have everybody come out and join us at any of those shows. It'll be at both of those theaters for a week. So um, come out and join, uh, see the film, and talk to us on Facebook. We want to hear what you have to say. Yes. Yes, that's perfect. So um, if you're listening to this, you know, live or pretty, pretty soon after it comes out, you'll be able to catch those. Um, if you're if you're listening to this, you know, in the future, um, you can always <laughs> go to the show notes page for this episode and I will keep it updated. Um, if y'all can send me any new dates and then I can keep that page oh, updated. Um, you'll find that at burlesquestripdown.com slash glitter tribe. Spelled normally, G-L-I-T-T-E-R-T-R-I-B-E. It's normal. <laughs> so um, you can find all that there, along with all the links to get get a hold of these folks. You know, um, there's lots. I'm sure that everybody's now obsessed with you. They want to see the film. They can find it, you said, on iTunes and somewhere else? Amazon. Amazon. Uh, the, uh, iTunes and Amazon uh, as of March 7th, so a week from now. Pretty soon. Okay. So I will, again, I'll have those links in there. If it ever does come on Netflix, I'll include that in there. I'll, I'll include all the things. Don't worry. Thank you, Velvet. <laughs> of course. And give us a quick rundown on how the best way to get in touch with you if we want to learn more. Yeah, I'm on Facebook. I unfortunately was shackled by the naming police, of so course. I am under Zora Pavanin, um, but I have included my nickname directly below Zora Von Pavanin, so you can find me there. I am on Instagram as Lady Pavanin. Perfect. Yes, and uh, as far as I'm concerned, the uh, I'm on Facebook. Uh, you, you can find me as John Manning, J-O-N-M-A-N-N-I-N-G. Or, uh, of course, uh, go to the Facebook page for Glitter Tribe. Uh, there is also a, uh, a URL for Glitter Tribe, the movie, where you can see the trailer and see extra scenes uh, and the uh, uh, synopsis and press, uh, all the press that has happened over the last uh, several months. And that's uh, GlitterTribeTheMovie.com. Beautiful. All right. Well, once again, I want to extend a, a big thank you, not only for coming on the show, but for creating such an amazing and important um, piece for our industry and for... Um, you know, like we said, the burlesque adjacent, right? Folks who are interested or uh, the enthusiasts and th or or people who have n who don't know anything about it. I think it's a wonderful film that's really important to to spread and to get out there. So let's make sure that we all get out to see it. We tell all of our friends about it. And once again, thank you so much for coming on. It's been really awesome to chat with you. Yay. Thank you. Thank I'm you, clapping. Thank Yay. you. Thanks, Velvet. <laughs> thank you. 
And there you have it, my friends. That hour flew by so quickly. And I was so, after we got off the Skype and I was looking at my notes, I was actually kind of disappointed. Not with the way the interview went. I think it's a great interview. But just there was so much more I wanted to talk about, right? There were so many things that were touched on. I mean, like I mentioned in the interview, I was furiously taking notes the whole time I watched this film. A few little highlights I wanted to mention. I love, they, they, they talk at one point about objectification. And I love, and I don't remember if it was Babs. I think it might have been Babs or Angelique. I can't remember who said it, but they said, you know, the, the difference between burlesque and stripping, for example, we are choosing to objectify ourselves on our own terms. And, and that burlesque emphasizes adding character to someone instead of subtracting it. I loved that. And I loved that they, you know, they feature a moment where there's a big fuck up, right? Not a big fuck up, but a little fuck up in the beginning and in the beginning of a show. And it happens and they deal with that. And and, and I really uh, kind of connected with Zora through the screen on that one because, um, you know, everybody's like trying to calm her down backstage. And she's just like, just let me, I need to just be angry for a moment. I'll get over it, but I need to just be angry. And that's totally me, 100%. But... Um, They talk about all sorts of things about how performers evolve over the years, over their careers. They talk about how burlesque kind of influences everyday life. And Zora touched on this as well. But it just, she actually had a quote that I would love to share with you from the film. She said, when I first started doing it, burlesque, I was taking things from my own everyday life and I was piping them into burlesque. At some point along the way, the empowerment that burlesque naturally brings started channeling back towards my real life. And I found that I was bringing confidence. Like I can pretty much do anything I want, she said. And I think that's a lot of us have experienced that. We get into, you know, we start in burlesque by putting our experiences into burlesque, but we find very soon that it starts going the other way. I think particularly about um, my interview with Virginia Daremy, and, and, and we talked about that kind of exchange as well. Two other little quotes that I took away from the film. Um, John mentioned several times Isaiah, who is, uh, his full name is Isaiah Esquire. Um, and if you're not familiar with him, I highly suggest that he is just a captivating, captivating performer in the film. But he also said a couple things near the end that really, really, really hit home for me. He said, being able to own your sexual power is essential to being happy, to being a fully happy, fully confident, fully comfortable, safe person. And he also said, when I'm on stage, this is my sexuality and how it connects to yours. And I I thought that was a really great, you know, talking about defining burlesque and how difficult it is. I think that those were two, I just, that, you know, I I made a special note of because they really stuck out to me. So I could go on and on, um, but you really just need to see this film for yourself. So head over to burlesquestripdown.com slash glitter tribe. And that's going to give you the details of if you are in Portland or LA, you have a chance if you're listening to this, you know, fairly live, this is going live on March 4th. So um, just yesterday and today has been the first days of those runs in Portland and LA. So you have one week. You got one week to get there. Um, if you're listening to this in the future, I apologize that you did not get it in time. But see, if you subscribe on iTunes, then you get it delivered to your device in time. Just saying, just throwing that out there. But uh, starting March 7th, it will be available on iTunes and Amazon. And so you'll be able to check it out there. Um, and I, like I said, I will also keep in touch with with John um, and the other the other filmmakers and, and promoters. And I will keep the show notes page updated with any other screenings uh, that happen, any other runs around the country or even hopefully around the world. So that'll be your home base, burlesquestripdown.com slash glitter tribe. Of course, you can also definitely follow them on Facebook, on Instagram, uh, Zora and all of the other, you know, the, you know, the social medias. We can all find everybody. It's not that hard. Google is our friend. <laughs> (laughs) 
<laughs> so definitely seek them out and follow them. I would love to hear your feedback on this episode and on the film if you get a chance to see it. Email me velvet at burlesquestripdown.com. We'll be coming at you over the next few weeks. We're kind of going to get back into interviewing a lot of um, different burlesque performers. As I mentioned, next week, I'm going to do a little special kind of a solo episode where we kind of say goodbye to the season of sex. I talk about some of my uh, biggest takeaways from it, as well as introducing our brand new posse members. And I had the uh, distinct pleasure of, oh my gosh, pleasure doesn't even begin to count, to, to cover the experience. Last weekend, I was actually up in Atlanta and I got to see Dita Von Tees, um in, I guess, concert or live, oh my gosh, on stage and with Dirty Martini and Jet the Door and like all of these people. It was amazing. And so I'm going to give you a little recap on that show next week. So be sure you tune in next week. And like I said, that you've subscribed, you share with your friends. If you'd like to support either your time or your money, <laughs> your hard-earned cash. I would love it. Uh, I'll take all your money. I'll just do it. You can go to Patreon or uh, to that uh, Join the Posse website as well. So love you, darlings. Thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to chatting with you more next week and in the coming weeks. But until then, my friends, make sure that you stay sexy. 